few years ago, I got the idea to write a grandfather book. So I got uh, The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, and that is full of blank pages. And I decided, here's, here's how I started this journal. I never knew either of my grandfathers. My, my mom's father died when she was a teenager, I believe, and dad's father died when I was a few months old. I've heard only a few things about them, but they are unknown to me. I hope my own grandchildren will know a lot more about me than that. That's part of the reason I'm starting this personal journal, to tell about me, Tom Feethy, for my family, for my kids and my grandkids. I started this on January 6, 2013, and began to write stories. I, I just thought I'd write about life, you know, and in the course, so far I've written A Boy's World, my, you know, my life as a kid, The Great Ice Storm of 1960 and the adventures we had. Riding bicycles was one day. Climbing trees. We used to just go looking for the biggest trees we could find to climb. Prejudice and the art contest. That's another story about my failings, my prejudices. Summer freedom and tackle football. Pets and more pets. George, my barber, and the Beatles. Grandmothers. A dangerous friend. <laughs> Some here, sometime in the future, I'm going to write vacation. I think I've already done vacations and bullies. Those are. Just one problem with this grandfather journal. The last time I wrote in it was July 24th, 2014. And a month from today, that'll be four years since I wrote anything. So much for leaving a legacy for my grandchildren. Well, finally, I've got some now. I've got twin granddaughters down in Atlanta. So I'm, I've gotten this thing out in just the past couple of days. That I'm going to start writing again to tell about my faith and my life because... I want that to be part of my legacy. But the reality is, it's not what I put in this book that will be my legacy for my children, my grandchildren, for those that have known me in life. Some of you in this church are part of my legacy because you were in the children's ministry, you were friends, we shared in life together. But this it got me thinking, what will my legacy be? It's not going to be what I write so, write so much as how I live. What's going to be your legacy? Maybe you're writing, maybe you're a journaler, and your grandchildren will one day say, let's see what Mamma wrote, or whatever they call you, grandmother wrote down. And they'll, maybe they'll hear about you from your children, their parents. But I hope for all of us that they will have from us a legacy of a life of faith, a life of service to Jesus Christ, a life of honoring him. So I want to talk about today the legacy, the legacy that you and I will leave. And I want to go to Psalm 105. Psalm 105, if you'll turn there, we're going to see some of it somewhere up here. And I've also got some uh, note-taking outline there. It's good to see so I can, in case I get lost, I can remember. In case Joe Drummer, where's Joe? In case he steals my notes, at least I have right here, you rascal. I think this is David's legacy. Now, it doesn't say anything in Psalm 105 in the superscription, the lines at the top, that it's by David. But it does reference Psalm, uh, not Psalm, but 1 Chronicles 16, verse 8 through 22. And it says this, this was given by David on the day that the Ark of the Covenant was brought back to Jerusalem and placed there in the tabernacle that, in the tabernacle that David had built. 
And the Ark of the Covenant was a, it, was, it had the Ten Commandments, a covenant of, that God had made with Israel. It had some other articles, but it was a box, but a very unique and special box. It pictured the fact, it represented the fact that God had made an agreement to be Israel's people, that they would be his treasured possession, that he would be their God, their king, that he would lead them and rule over them and provide for them and protect for them. And in return, in response, they would obey and serve and worship only him and love him. Interesting thing about that box, it had been lost for a while. During the time of Eli, during the time of the judges, the nation of Israel assumed that because they had the box, they had God with them. And so they were, they had, they were attacked by some enemies, the Philistines, and they said, we need the Ark of the Covenant with us. And if we have the Ark of the Covenant, if we have the box, and go into battle, we can't lose, because if the box is with us, God is with us. And it wasn't so. They were terribly defeated, and the Ark of the Covenant was captured and taken and put in the temple of the gods, Dagon, I believe it was, one of the gods of the Philistines, as a way of saying, our God is bigger than your God. Our, our God could beat up your God. <laughs> and God showed them very clearly that wasn't the case. So it came back to Israel, but it wasn't brought to Jerusalem, which was the capital city once David became king. And David wanted to have that Ark of the Covenant to remind God's people that they were God's covenant people, his chosen people, and that he was not just God above in heaven, but he was a God who dwelt with them. And when they worshiped, when they gathered together at festivals or came to sacrifice at that tabernacle, David wanted them to remember this was his legacy. I want you to know some things about God. I want it to be a real faith. That was the legacy that he left. So, and, 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 and God, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has had this psalm written, not just for the nation of Israel, not just for that time in history, but for all time. So that we might know what David and God through David wanted to pass on to us and what he intends for us to pass on to others, our legacy. So let's look at Psalm 105 and uh, study together for a few minutes, hopefully have insight into how God would have us pass on a legacy, what that legacy is. Let me read, first of all, Psalm 105, verse 1 through 5. Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek him, who seek the Lord, rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he pronounced. David's legacy to us. Our legacy should be this. We ought to cultivate this one thing. Now, the one thing, what is it? What was David known for? When you think of David, what is he known for? What's that? A man after God's own heart. You can remember he did certain things. He beat Goliath. He became king. He brought the ark back. He had a son, Solomon. A whole bunch of things you can remember about him. But this above all else that God wants to say about David, he was a man after God's own heart. 
I think David is saying to Israel, God is saying through Psalm 105 to us, cultivate this, a heart for God. May it grow in us. May it grow in me and in you and in those that we influence for all of our lives. But what does a heart for God look like? Sometimes Becky will come home and she'll, she'll say, I was talking with uh, someone at the store today. She works at Cedar Springs Christian Store, and she says, I was talking with somebody. I forget her name. Maybe Suzanne. I don't know if Suzanne works there. But I always have to say, wait, wait. <clears throat> What does Suzanne look like? Because I'm in there at the store to see her, to buy stuff often enough, where I've seen most everybody. She'll say, oh, you know, she'll, the one she saw me, she'll say, oh, she's tall and has blonde hair. I go, oh, okay, now I know what she looks like. I need to, I'm visual like you, Kevin. I, I need to see it. And I, I think when we hear this word, a heart for God, we need to say, what's that look like? And at least in part, this is what it looks like. Let me read that again. Give Thanks to the Lord. There are ten imperatives, verbs, exhortations in here. Some of them are related to this topic. It looks like that in every way we will exalt the Lord. And that's my appeal. That's my appeal to you and to me. That in every way it would be our ambition, our desire to exalt, to honor, to lift him up. One of the songs that we sang had that word, exalt the Lord, several times. To exalt the Lord in these ways. These are just some of them, but it's what David chooses to write. Give thanks to the Lord. In other words, remember what he's done, and don't forget to give thanks. Tell him, Lord, I am so grateful, I am so appreciative of what you've done. Thank you for this, for that. He says, make known among the nations what he has done. If giving thanks is vertical, we speak to God. Giving, uh, making known among the nations, uh, and there in verse uh, 3, tell of all his wonderful. That is horizontal. We tell about God and declare what he has done for others to people. So look at the things he says here. Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Here's a man appealing to his people to exalt the Lord in every possible way. By giving thanks, by, being, by giving praise, by, if you have the talent, do it musically in front of people like those who serve here in the front during our worship services. Not all of us have that kind of a voice or that musical talent. But I think we all ought to be singing. Uh, sing along with the radio in the car, Christian radio, or with your iTunes or whatever device you've got for music. Sing to the Lord. Make music to the Lord. It doesn't have to sound great to, to other people. Maybe you do have that kind of a voice. And you honor and exalt the Lord publicly together with other people. Sometimes it's just singing in your heart. I try to read a, read a hymn and sing a, at least part of a hymn most days. And uh, that's, that's my music language. I like contemporary Christian music, but, uh, but I love the hymns as well. So I, I've got a hymnal that I keep there where I have my quiet time. We ought to be 
giving thanks and giving praise and seeking the Lord and honoring him by directing our thoughts and words to him, words of praise, honor, exaltation. We also, I've observed something lately. I've reached the age where it's awfully easy when someone says, how are you doing? I go through my catalog of doctor's appointments and aches and pains and the medicines I'm taking. And I'm getting there, guys, girls. Any of you here, there, how are you doing? Well, I went to the doctor this week and he froze the uh, bits of pre-skin cancer off the top of my head. And I hurt my thumb when I just smacked it with a hammer. And I, I just, it's so easy to talk about my aches and pains and, and uh, illnesses and, or treatments or doctors. And, you know, I, there ought to be something better that I talk about than that. I hope that I will be a person who, not in an artificial way, but in a natural way, because it's on my mind and in my heart. When somebody says, how are you doing? I'm telling what great things God has done. That I'm telling his goodness. That I'm declaring his greatness, his mighty acts. That I'm telling what I've read in scripture that has blessed my life. That, it, that, that has pointed me to the greatness or the goodness or the steadfast love or the faithfulness of God. I want to in every way exalt the Lord. What a, what a legacy that would be for you and for me if one of these days grandchildren say, tell me about what Papa was like. Oh, he just, he, 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 was, he sang, he sang in the choir or he was always talking about what good things God had done for him. J-O-I, always appreciate when I come through the front door, how are you doing? You say, God has been so good to me. And it's uh, a great word. May we be those who tell of all his wonders, tell of the greatness of God. There's a second part of this when it comes to having a heart for God. What does it look like? It looks like that we trust, that in every situation we trust the Lord. In every situation we trust the Lord. Notice these other things that David tells his people to do, and God, through David's psalm, tells us to do. He says in verse 1, call on his name. In verse 4, look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done. The New Testament says this, we ought to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. All of Hebrews 11 talks about how God's people trusted in God, and it's an appeal for us to trust in him. We are to live by faith, walk by faith, not by sight. Having a heart for God means that we trust him in every situation. And trusting him in every situation means that in the good, in the bad, in the ugly, we are directing our thoughts, our prayers, our, our expressing our needs and our dependence toward him it means we call on him in trouble or in times of need when we see our weakness or the size of the obstacles or the opposition or the problems we seek his strength when we're afraid when doubts tend to overwhelm our faith we remember his great works remember his love remember what he has done and he has said for David Life was all about the Lord. He had a heart for God, and he, in the good and the difficult, he was always turning to the Lord. In joys and triumphs and blessings, he gave thanks and praise. In trials and defeats, in confusion and failure, 
He trusted, he confessed, he poured out his heart. David wrote, I think, about half of the Psalms, as far as we can tell. That's quite a legacy of devotion to God. Some of them are praise psalms. Some of them are where he pours out his confusion and his trouble. and just says, God, what are you doing? Why haven't you helped me? But he was in every one of life's situations turning to the Lord. That's what I hope that you and I will cultivate, a heart for God. That's what I hope to leave to my children, my grandchildren, that I was a man that exalted God in every way and trusted God in every situation. There's a second part of this psalm, and God inspired David to write this. The whole rest of the psalm talks about one praiseworthy attribute of God. There are some psalms, like Psalm 145, that's almost like a catalog. Just all, it talks about the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all. He is merciful on all to all he has made. The Lord is faithful. The Lord is righteous. Psalm 145 just has all these statements about God. Psalm 105 really just talks about one attribute of God. And really, it just gives one example of that, though there are one big example with several subpoints. Okay, so we'll talk about this. Here's what David says, basically. Israel, God's people of every generation, remember this. Remember this. Don't lose sight of this. God is faithful. God is faithful. Here's what he says in verse 8 through 11 about the Lord. He, the Lord, remembers his covenant forever. The word he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant he made with Abraham. The oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob three generations in a row as a decree. To Israel, all the people, all the descendants of Abraham, as an everlasting covenant. You, to you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion you will inherit. Now the whole rest of the psalm is about how God worked that out. It took 500 years to accomplish that. From Abraham's, the promise to Abraham to the entry into the promised land. But David basically says, remember this. Though God takes a long time to work things out sometimes, he is faithful. The promise that Abraham received, we see first of all in the beginning of it in Genesis chapter 12, where the Lord says, I, he says, I want you to get up and go to the land I'll show you, and I will make you a great nation. When he gets there, when God leads him there, he says, to you and your descendants, I will give this land in chapter 13. In chapter 15, one night, the Lord appears to Abraham and takes him outside and says, I want you to look up at the sky. Can you count those stars? If you can count them you won't be able to count your descendants. Your descendants will be more than the stars. In another place, he says, they'll be more than the dust of the earth. Abraham, you're going to have innumerable descendants, innumerable children, and this land that you see now, I'm giving it all. He took him up on a mountain one time and said, look to the east. Wait, wait, wait. Look to the east, to the north, to the west, to the south. You see it all? I'm going to give it all to you and your descendants as an everlasting possession quite a promise innumerable descendants 
and to be a great nation that would possess that land. But between the time God made that promise and, the, and its fulfillment, that's where we're tempted to doubt God's faithfulness. And when God makes us a promise, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. What a glorious promise. But between there and now is where we need to trust that God is faithful. And that's where the rest of this psalm describes that journey of trusting him through all of life's experiences. So let's look at that. God made that promise to Abraham. But then what happened? Well, Abraham was probably about 80 when God made the initial promise about how he would have a son. And it wasn't until Abraham was 100 that Abraham had a son that was the heir of the promise. He had Ishmael, but that didn't count because that wasn't what God planned. He had one son, Isaac. One son, hardly a great nation. Well, Isaac, when he was over 40, got married, and after a while, his wife had children, had twins, had two children, Esau and Jacob. So, you know, Abraham had one son in the course of becoming a great nation. Now his son, Isaac, has two children. I mean, that's twice as many as Abraham had. Isaac had twice as many kids as his father, but uh, two kids is hardly a population explosion, you know? And then Jacob comes along, and he has 12 sons. Well, now, you, now you're getting somewhere. But uh, still, it's a slow going. And concerning the promise of inheriting the land, it says that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were strangers in the land. Look at verse 12. When they were but few in numbers, yeah, I'd say only having one son, that's kind of sparse, few indeed and strangers in it. They wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. It says that though God had promised them this whole land, they didn't own any of it, not during Abraham's life, not during Isaac's life, not during Jacob's life, and not for the next 400 years after that. I think here's the lesson for us. You can write it down in your bulletin if you like. God is faithful even when we feel small and insignificant. God promised that Abraham would be a great nation, that he would have innumerable descendants, and he, all this land would he and his descendants would possess. And yet for so long, it appeared that it wasn't going to happen because so little seemed to be happening. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were strangers in the land. They were not multiplying greatly. But God is still faithful, even when they and we feel small and insignificant. We are so prone to think, that, my, that our service for Christ isn't accomplishing anything, whether it's our teaching ministry or our evangelism or uh, our parenting. We sometimes are so prone to wonder, are we doing any good? 
will there, will there be any result? Will God keep the promises that he seems to have made to me? Is God going to work through me as I serve him? Is he going to work through me as I seek to raise my children? And I want to remind us all, God is faithful, even when we feel small and insignificant. When we lived in Mississippi, I, I planted a live oak tree. Went to a, a home goods store and bought a live oak tree about this big around and about a little taller than I can reach. Now, if you know anything about the Deep South, uh, like South Mississippi, live oak trees are huge when they're mature. They grow, they grow about 50 feet high, and they're the ones that spread out about 100 feet, and sometimes the branches come up and come back down and touch the ground. They're, they're just awesome trees. And I planted a live oak tree, but after I did it, or if, or before I did it even, I asked about how they grow, and they said, oh, they're slow-growing trees. And uh, I thought, well, maybe I should plant a Bradford, Bradford pear. You know, they grow fast. In 15 years, they are mature. They're huge. Just one problem with Bradford pears is about 15 years they start to split and fall down. They don't last. Live oak trees live to be 100 years old, even though they grow slow. Are you planting live oak trees spiritually, or are you planting Bradford pears? Don't be discouraged if the progress seems to be slow, or if you wonder if you're doing any good. God is faithful, even when we feel small, and even when we feel insignificant, even when we feel like we're not getting anywhere. God is faithful. A second lesson about the faithfulness of God is this. God is faithful when life doesn't make sense. God is faithful when his ways are confusing or mysterious or his timing seems to be all wrong. Look at verse uh, verse 16, it says, He, God, he called down famine on the land and destroyed all their supplies of food. And he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons till what he foretold came to pass. This, the narrative advances and it says this about God's dealings. While Jacob was living in the promised land, living in tents, living as a nomad, living as a Bedouin, God called for a famine. He, God, called down a famine. He destroyed all their food supplies. And not only that, one of Joseph's sons was betrayed by his older brothers and sold as a slave and taken to Egypt. Now, Let's look at things from Jacob's and Joseph's point of view. First of all, Joseph, since it happened to him first chronologically. Joseph is in prison for a while. He, he spent 13 years. He went to, he went to Egypt as a 17-year-old. And seven, at the age of 30, something changed all that, all that, all that was going on. But for 13 years, he's, he was either a slave in the house of Potiphar or else he was in prison, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. For 17 years, Joseph must have been tempted to think, where is the promise of God? Because Joseph had had dreams that were clearly from God about a time coming when he would be honored, when he'd be in a position of prominence, and his brothers would come to him and bow down because they needed his help. 
for 17 years, it seemed like nothing was happening. In fact, it seemed like the very opposite was happening. It seemed like God had forgotten him. Now, it does say the Lord was with him, but what about that promise? Meanwhile, back in the the promised land is Jacob and his sons, and they are growing up, and there comes a time when there's a famine in the land, and they are running out of food, and they are fe- facing death by starvation. It's sometime in the foreseeable future. What is Jacob prone to think? Both Jacob and Joseph would have been tempted to say, what is going on? I thought, I thought that God said we would inherit this land. I thought he was going to make us a great nation and we we're going to perish from starvation. And what about Joseph thing? I thought God was going to put me in an honored, exalted position and here I am in prison. What is going on? But God is faithful even when life doesn't make sense. God was at work, though it was, it was seemingly the opposite of what ought to happen. And I remind you and myself, when circumstances don't make sense, when you can't help but ask, God, why would you allow this? Why didn't you intervene when you could have? Why are you waiting so long to answer my prayers? Remember, God is faithful, even when life doesn't make sense. God is working, even when you can't see it. You can't figure it out. Just in the past couple of weeks, had something happen that I, that, I, that I found very disappointing. Just one of those times when I sat down and, and, and sat on the sofa and said, Lord, what are you doing? A- am I doing any good? This is just not making sense. I've tried in this area. I've worked on this project. And it, I thought it was going to come through and nothing happened. It's fallen apart. And I was deeply disappointed and just one of those times where I just think, I, 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 just, I just, I don't know what to do. And then I, it struck me what I ought to do. I ought to give thanks to the Lord. I needed to trust him. I needed to praise him. And so I said, okay, for the rest of the evening until tomorrow, I'm going to make it my ambition to think of how many things I can be thankful for and to give thanks to the Lord. And it was amazing the difference that it made in me and my outlook and my attitude just all through that next day to think, okay, I'm, I'm tempted to be disappointed. I'm tempted to wonder what's going on. I'm going to thank God. Because think, think of all the good things he's done for me. What a great and gracious God. God is faithful. Even when life doesn't make sense. Even when his ways are mysterious. He's faithful. One last thing I see here is over on the next page in my Bible. In verse 26 it says that when after after Jacob went to Egypt and found that Joseph was like prime minister there and they were taken care of and there they lived for 400 years and became very numerous and God fulfilled that part of his promise to make to, 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 to give to the descendants of Abraham innumerable descendants but it says this is what happened Verse 25, verse 24, we'll start there. Uh, you won't have the, all of this on the, on the screen, but it says, God made his people very fruitful, and they became too numerous for their foes, whose hearts he turned to hate his people, to conspire against his servants. He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. 
God chose to send a guy named Moses to deliver the nation of Israel out of the, the bondage, the slavery of Egypt, and to bring them to the promised land. I see here something about God's faithful. God is faithful in spite of our fears and our failures. Just take Moses, the one that says God chose to deliver the nation of Israel. Moses had grown up in Pharaoh's house. He had grown up as the son, the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. And when he was 40 years old, he went out to see his people, the Jews, because he knew they were his people, that he was Jewish. And it says there he saw an Egyptian slave master beating a Hebrew and in anger and in a rage, he killed that Egyptian. And it says over in uh, the New Testament, he thought that God would make the people realize, the Jews realize, that Moses was a deliverer. He's basically saying, hey, guys, I got one. Okay, follow me. We're getting, out of, we're getting out of slavery. And nobody followed him. In fact, Pharaoh found out that he had killed an Egyptian. And Pharaoh, his own grandfather, decided he was going to try to kill Moses, put him to death. And so for 40 years, Moses was forced to flee and live in a place called Midian, which is, you know, the boonie land. And for 40 years, Moses must have thought, I blew it. I, I wasted that opportunity. I, I knew people. I had connections. I was, I was like the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I could have done better if I had not killed that guy. But I've wasted my opportunity. Now there'll be no deliverance for the nation of Israel. I bet for 40 years, time and time again, he thought, I missed my chance. I wasted. I, I, I lost the opportunity. And one day God appeared to him and spoke to him and said, Moses, I want you to go and deliver my people Israel. I've heard their cries for help. I've seen their cruel treatment. And now I'm sending you. And what was Moses' reply? I can't go. You've got to send somebody else. I'm not eloquent enough. I, I don't know people like I used to know them. They are my enemies, not my family, not my friends anymore. They won't listen. And the Lord says, it's not about eloquence. It's not about persuasiveness. It's not your ability. I'll be with you. I'll do, I'll do wonders. I'll bring them out. But you go. Moses was fearful. Moses had been a failure. And his failures weren't over. Neither were Aaron's. There would be times when they would both blow it as they led the people out of Egypt and through the wilderness. But failure on their part did not keep God from being faithful and did not keep God from using them. God is faithful in spite of our fears, in spite of our failures. What legacy will you leave? When friends, when co-workers, when children say, yeah, I knew her, I knew him, what will they recall? It may be that you are a good, good athlete, that you uh, drove a certain kind of car, that you played guitar, any number of things. All those are good, that you had art talent. Those are good. 
but a hope above all else. They will remember you for this. And this will be your influence and mine. That we had a heart for God. That we developed that, cultivated that all through life. A heart for God. Wanting to exalt Him in every possible way. And wanting to uh, trust Him in every situation. And that they would remember that we knew that God was faithful. And it wasn't just a fact that we talked about, but something we lived out. Something that affected our lives. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, says this about this man of faith, Abraham. Since this psalm is about the promise that God made and how God kept it. It says in Hebrews 11, verse 11, By faith, Abraham, even though... He was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. He considered him faithful who had made the promise. Do you and I consider God faithful, the one who has made the promises? Let me just use an object lesson. We're just still in children's church, basically. This is, a, this is a bag of trash. I brought it with me today. I often carry it around with me. Here's what happens. As I go out in the morning, leaving our apartment, we have a dumpster. And I drive right past it. And I say, I'll take the trash out. And I don't want to put it in the, in the truck with me, like in the front seat, because it stinks the truck up. So what do I do? I put it back in the back of the truck. That's what the backs of trucks are for, you know, in the bed of the truck. And I drive out, drive, you know, that hundred yards. And about 10 or 15 minutes later, I arrive someplace and get out of my truck and close the door. And what do I see? A bag of trash. It's still with me. I thought I'd take it for a ride. No, that's, that's not what I want. I forgot it. Why did I forget it? Because it was behind me. It was out of sight. So I've learned to do something to keep that from happening. <laughs> do the apartment complex thing. I put it on the hood of the car. I know I'm not going to drive very far because I'm doing this. To try to see over the car. I cannot ignore it because it is right in the field of vision. If it's behind me, I forget it. But if it's right in front of me, I remember the Lord says, basically, remember this. God is faithful. What are you doing to keep the promises and God's faithfulness in the forefront of your mind? Maybe it's singing every morning. It's, I hope it's having a quiet time, reading the scripture. But we can sometimes even do that and go on. But we need some way of reminding ourselves time and time and time again that God is faithful. He has made promises. He will keep them. This one last illustration. This is from Chuck Swindoll in his book, Great Days with Great Lives. He talks about his mom, and he says, My mom wrote a book. It wasn't a book that ever got published. She and a neighbor who was a friend were both Christians and encouraged each other in the Lord. They said, and they said Let's make a book of God's promises. So they just got a blank journal, and as they read their Bibles, they would often, when they saw a promise, they would write it down. And then they would pray for those promises. And he, Chuck Swindoll says this, After my mom died, my brother and sister and I 
got that book of God's promises that my mother had written. And they weren't just, she would write down a verse, and, but then she would often pray about that. And he said, time and time again, we, her two sons and her daughter, looked, and there were our, name, our names by those promises. Lord, for my son Chuck, would you fulfill this promise? For my daughter Cindy, would you fulfill this promise? Time and time again, his mother was keeping written down God's promises. And this is what Chuck Swindoll said in that entry in that book. My friend, go back to the book. Search for the promises God offers you in his word. I suggest you start with the Psalms. Look for the promises there. They are myriad. They are countless. Become familiar with them. Walk with them. In some cases, memorize them. Let them be your guide and your comfort. And I say to myself and to you, remember the promises. Claim them. Pray for their fulfillment. Trust that God will be faithful. God's timing is not our time so often. But God is faithful. When life doesn't make sense, God is faithful when we fail, when we are afraid. And God is faithful, what was my first point? God is faithful when we feel small and insignificant. God is faithful. Remember that. Let's stand and pray together. Father in heaven, you are faithful. You are worthy of our praise, our thanks, our adoration. You are worthy that, worthy that we would sing to you and honor you in this world. You are worthy that we would tell of all your great works. Help us to do that. May that be our legacy, that we have a heart for you. May it also be our legacy that people see in us that we trusted you, knowing, absolutely convinced that you're faithful. Now, brothers and sisters, if you would like to come and pray or just pray where you are, maybe you want to come and kneel here, there may be a situation you're facing and you just need to say, Lord, I need to hear from you. I need a promise about what I'm going through. I need to cling to you. I feel small and insignificant. I see my failures and my fears. I don't understand, but Lord, I'm trusting you to be faithful. Maybe you just need to say, Lord, here I am. I'm saying it to you. I trust you. You're faithful. I'm depending on you. However you'd like to respond to the Lord, you're free.